Aren't you thankful for the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God in our lives today? He is so faithful. He is so good. You know, we talk a lot around here about don't look back, only look forward. Think about the way that even automobiles are designed today. They're designed with this massive windshield so that you can see what's ahead, so that you can know where you're going. And yet there's this little bitty tiny rear view mirror. There's a reason for that. Because our focus is not supposed to be on yesterday, but where we're going. But the rear view mirror does serve a purpose. It helps us to know where we did come from. What he has brought us through and from. There's not a single one of us sitting in this room today. It doesn't matter what situation of life you're in right now. It doesn't matter how dire the straits are right now. You, There is not a one of us in this room today that cannot testify of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. We can look in that little rearview mirror just for a minute and say, God, you've been with me all the way through. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. You've always been there. You've always been with me. And he's not going to, he's not going to start leaving us today. I don't know how old you are today. I'm not going to ask. I see a few gray hairs around the room today. I got a few. I got a lot. But the more gray hairs there are in the room today, the more testimony there is of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. God bless you again for being here today in this house. Can I just say this? Uh, We have things that we do here on Sunday mornings. We we gather into the room around 1030. We, We sing some songs together. Can I tell you this worship team is very intentional about the songs even that we sing? That's been prayed over. That's been, that's been sought after and discerned as to what is needed for that day. And we sing these songs together. That's very intentional. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four. And then we have this time where we bring our return, our tithes and our offerings and That's very intentional. That's not just so that we can raise money to pay the bills. That's an act of worship. And then we have this time where we just tell everybody to just get around and hug somebody's neck and shake somebody's hand. That's very intentional. There's a reason behind that. And then there's been, there's been a sermon. There's been a, a message that has been sought after and prepared to deliver to the church family from God's word. That's very intentional. See, we don't do anything haphazard. But let me just tell you, with all the intentionality that's gone into this service today, can I tell you that there is one prayer that supersedes all of that? With all of our work, with all of our effort, with all of our preparation, with all of our planning for this time together, there is one prayer that supersedes all of that, and that is simply this, God have your way. God, you can do in a millisecond in someone's heart and life what it would take most of us many, many lifetimes over to do. Is that me? It's me. That's what she said to me. She said, it's you. It's not me. Let me see. Are we better? Was I I scraping against something? Okay, well, we're good for now. We're good for now. And uh, we're just going to trust that that's not what the Lord was saying today, saying, shut up, Kevin, and sit down so I can do something else. But I, uh, our prayer is that God will meet you where you are, even if it's before the first note is hit on a keyboard. 
even if it's before the, the book is even opened, that God will do. You may sit through the next 30 minutes or so of this message and not hear a word that Kevin Bates says, but God will speak to you. That's our prayer, that our lives are changed so that no individual, no person, no thing that happens in this service is glorified or lifted up, but that Jesus Christ is lifted up in your life and that when you leave, you didn't have an encounter with a preacher, you didn't have, an, you didn't have just an experience in a church house, but you had an encounter with the living God that changes things forever. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you just have an encounter with a preacher or with an experience, guess what? Next week, you're going to need another experience and you're going to need the preacher again. But if living water ever pours into your soul, you never thirst again. Wow, that's good preaching right there. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. I, I want to speak just for a few minutes this morning on a particular subject, a particular word that I, I have discovered now that all of us deal with at one level or another, at some place in our life. If we're not battling it and dealing with it now, we have at some point in our lives, and we will again. I've seen it in young people. I've seen it in old people. I've seen it, I've seen it with people that uh, seem like they sort of have it all together, and I've seen it in people whose lives was in total disarray. I, I've seen it in people that don't even know the Lord, and I've seen it in people who have been serving God their entire life. It's this one word, and it's something that, 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 that vexes so many of our spirits and souls, and it's simply this. The word is shame. Shame. In John, the eighth chapter, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought this woman to Jesus. She had been caught in the literal act of adultery, and they said to Jesus in verse 5, Now Moses and the law commanded commanded us that such should be stoned. This type of person in this type of act should be put to death. But they looked at Jesus and they said, but what do you say? And Jesus, in that moment, he went silent on them. And and this was a, a total act of brilliance on his part. He didn't engage in the argument with them. He didn't try to set them straight. He just kind of let it lay there. He just, you know, it would do us all good sometimes not to engage in the argument. Sometimes you just need to let people kind of, when they get to getting get into all that condemning and kind of uh, that destructive kind of stuff, just keep our mouth shut and just let them kind of self-destruct. You know, just kind of kind of kind of let them hear their own argument after a while before it finally just comes back on them. He just, he didn't engage. He just let it lay there to give them a chance to ponder on what it was they were saying and what they were asking. And he stoops down and he writes in the ground. And when he, when, when he does that, he stands back up and here's what he says in verse 7. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the least, even to the last, And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, I love those comforting words. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In these last few words that Jesus shares with this lady, he deals with three kinds of shame that I believe are common in all of our lives. Three kinds of shame. There's the shame of sin that he addresses. There is the shame of someone else that he addresses. And then there was the shame of self 
that he dealt with. So when he says to her, where are your accusers? He deals with the shame of others. The shame that's coming from other people. The shame of someone else. She looks around. She sees that no one's there. He has set her free, basically, from the shame that others would bring into her life. I don't know if there's anybody else in this room today that's ever experienced the shame of others. <laughs> it's one thing when you feel shame from yourself. It's one thing when, when, when a situation or a mistake in your past tells you that you t- tries to tell you that you're a shameful person. But when others will say things and accuse you. And then he shifts gears and he says, neither do I condemn you. He didn't say you haven't sinned. He, he, he said, I'm not condemning you for your sin. That, that, that's where he dealt with the shame that honestly she already knew that she was living in. The, the sin that she was already uh, living in. Can I just say this? Uh, there are people, I've heard preachers, that, that love to, to, to preach on sin. We gotta deal with the sin problem in the world. We got, I'm gonna preach on sin. We're gonna get the sin out of the house. We're gonna, you know, I'm gonna tell you something. If someone is living in a place of sin in their lives, they don't need anybody to remind them of that. They already know. And the more I tell them, the more I preach to them, and the more I look down my bony finger and down my long nose at them with my pride and my self-righteousness, the more condemnation and shame I'm heaping on them. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit can do all the convicting that, that the Holy Spirit wants to do. I, that's his job. That's not my job. That's not your job. And then he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Now you go and sin no more. Leave this life that you now are living. This life that has no hope. This life that is, this life that is a dead end road. You go and sin no more. By the way, some people would think that Jesus was saying to her, you go and live a perfect life. That's not what he was saying at all. He was saying to her, you now have an opportunity for your future to be lived with hope and with repentance toward God. A change toward God. A better place. A better life. And he points her with hope toward the future. And basically, he is setting her free in that very moment from the self-condemnation That she would have over the sins and the mistakes and the failures of her life. When we're talking about the shame of sin, I want to encourage all of us in this room. Maybe you already are, and I hope that we all are. But I want to encourage you to not be so sin-minded. So many times we focus on the issue. We focus on the sin. We focus on the mistake. Help us, God, not to be so sin-minded, but rather to be salvation Minded. If we would put more, as much focus on the, the, sal- the saving grace and the salvation as we are on the actual sin or the act or the deed, we would go so much further for us to focus on the sufficiency of salvation in our lives. If we're going to get free of the shame of sin, we cannot continue to be focused on the sin. I think sometimes in our in our ability, in our uh, desire, and in our attempts to try to help people through uh, a chemical addiction and, and and these types of 
of, uh, of strongholds that come on people's life. Sometimes in those settings, we put so much focus on the drugs. We put so much focus on, on getting free of this drug and this is the effects it has and this is what it does. If we would just quit talking about the drug, believe me, the drug addict knows everything there is to be, to know about drugs. They know what it is. They know how it affects their life. We need to quit focusing on the drug and start focusing on the answer and the solution. If we will just point them to the answer, we don't have to put as much focus on the drug. So we quit focusing on the sin and focus on the all-sufficient salvation. Many times when people use the word saved, they'll say things like, I'm saved. I've been saved. I got saved at an old-fashioned altar. Other people, when they hear that, if, they're, if they've never been around this church culture, they may be saying, what, what do you mean? You're, you're, you're saved by, what do you mean by saved? You're saved from what? Are you saved from like a drowning ship? What, what, what is it? We're simply saying that we are saved from our sin. We're saved from the sentence of sin. We're saved from the, from the punishment and the penalty and, and the requirement for sin. Sometimes we just got to remind ourselves. Sometimes I need to look at myself in the mirror and say, Kevin, you're saved. Because <laughs> sometimes life, sometimes the mistakes of life, sometimes the issues of life will convince me And try to convince me that I'm not. No matter how I feel, I'm saved. No matter what someone else might say about me or to me. Kevin, you have salvation. Salvation is yours. The truth is, is we're all born. We're all born with that thing that we call the sin nature. We were all born with it. I don't care who you are. When a baby is born, they are born with that sin nature. Can I just tell you, babies will steal. They are are the best at taking stuff that doesn't belong to them. And they they don't have any conscience about it either. They don't care. They'll take stuff that's not theirs. Can I tell you, babies will hit people and not feel bad about it. Some babies, some of your babies, will bite people. Now, my babies don't do that. You don't ever walk into a nursery. Rarely will you ever walk into a nursery and hear, see a baby with a toy in their hand, a toddler with a toy in their hand, walking around saying, yours, yours, yours. No, I think the first word a baby learns is mine, mine. Babies, they are selfish. We are born with this selfish nature. But guess what happens? As babies, then we begin, after we're babies, we begin to grow up a little bit. And then we start to learn right from wrong. And this is the moment. Before they don't know they're doing anything wrong, but this is the moment where they start accumulating shame. Now I know the difference between right. Now I know that when I hit somebody across the face or when I bite somebody, now I know that this is wrong. So every time I do something like that, every time I, I have a wrong, every time I have a selfish act or a deed in my life, now all of a sudden... I'm building up shame in my life. We all have an accumulation of shame in our lives. If you went to church growing up or even as an adult, we start to understand that God has high standards. God's got some high standards. We call them the Ten Commandments. These aren't ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. And we all know that God has a high standard, but we also know that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we all have fallen short. So now there's this gap. 
There's this gap that we've got to deal with. We've got we to try to reconcile this in our mind. There's this gap of from where God's standard is for our lives and where most of us live our lives. There's this gap now. This is not meant to condemn anybody. Hang with me for a little while and you'll see where we're going. Can I just say this? Conviction, conviction is when God says, yes, there is this gap. There is this gap. But I am calling you. I, I am encouraging, I am beckoning you to a higher place. I am calling you to a better life. I'm calling you to something better. There is something comforting about when the God of heaven and earth reaches down with love and with care and says, you're in this place right now, and that's not my plan for you. That's not my desire for you. I have a higher place I want to take you. Take you. I got things I want to do in your life. So I am calling you. I am beckoning you to a higher place. And yes, in that moment, I have to look at where I'm at, and I have to address the issues and the things in my life and the things I need to deal with, but it's not condemning and it's not shameful. It's simply conviction, just like Jesus did with the woman who was caught in the act. He never condemned her, but he was calling her. We said, go and sin no more. He was saying, there's a better life for you. He pointed her to hope, but there's another word. It's called condemnation. Sometimes we, sometimes we mistake these words. We use them interchangeably sometimes, and we shouldn't because condemnation has a completely different meaning. Condemnation is when we realize, in my human thinking and, and, and conscience here, I realize that there is this gap between God's standard and now my potential to measure up to that standard. And that's when we begin to experience and feel shame. Condemnation. And that's where the battle is. It's between our awareness of the sin in my life, the shortcomings in my life, and the gift of righteousness. And I'm sitting here and I'm dwelling on the gap. To overcome the shame of sin, we have to have a revelation and know and understand the power of salvation. The power of salvation. Salvation has nothing to do with me. Salvation has everything to do with Him and what He did and what He accomplished at the cross of Calvary. <coughs> Excuse me. Isaiah 12, 3, I quoted it earlier. This, this, this scripture has been so heavy in my heart and, and, and it's just so comforting. Therefore, with joy. I think sometimes our problem is, is we lose our joy about our salvation. It becomes work. It becomes somehow this work, uh, driven deal, this performance driven thing in our lives. I've got to earn salvation. I got to do more. I got to be right. I got to get it all together. And that's the way we look at it. And in those moments, we get down and we get discouraged about our inability to reach that standard or to measure up or to be everything that even we want to be. So, it's, But it says this, it says, with joy, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In other words, it's saying, keep going back, keep going back to the well and this, but do it with joy. There's nothing that that grieves me more. There's nothing that burdens me more than whenever we have, a, say, for example, from time to time, we have an appeal at this altar area of this church 
say, come and receive from the Lord. Come, God wants to meet you here and come and bow a knee. And I see people with, with heads hung low and, and they come and they're, they're beat down at the altar because they're, they're, they're thinking about everything that got onto this place and all of the baggage and all of the mistakes and all of the issues. And so there's so much focus on the problem. I need a hand there. Testing, one, two, all right, there we go. He says, keep coming back, and you do it with joy. Uh, one of the greatest altar calls I was ever in was many years ago, C.C. Winans. How many of you know the uh, the, the gospel artist, C.C. Winans? She was giving a concert, and I was there, and she was singing at the, end of the, at the end of the concert. She starts giving an appeal, and I mean, it was a celebration. People were coming to receive the Lord, and I mean, as they were walking down the aisles to the front of that church, you could just see their chest poking out and, and, and their head swelling with pride, not their pride, but the pride of what God was doing in their life, and they walked to the front of that, and stretched their hands and all the congregation was celebrating and clapping and hollering and screaming and whistling because this was a moment of celebration. We were doing it. We were going to the wells of salvation with joy, with joy. I'm not where I want to be, but with joy, I'm coming back to the wells of my salvation. I'm going to draw some mercy today in my life. I'm going to draw some righteousness today out of the wells. I'm going to draw on the free gift of salvation today. Shame causes us, shame causes us to confuse who we are with what we've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't change who you are. Shame causes us to look at what we've done rather than who we are. Guilt says, guilt says I've done something bad. Yes, it's a, it's a part of life. Guilt says I made a mistake, but shame says I am bad. I'm bad. This is who I am. Conviction is what I like to talk about. Because in the truest form, in its purest form, conviction is God calling us to a better place. Conviction is God compelling us to that greater and higher place. It's God saying, come on. That's not a part of my plan for your life. I want better things for you in your life and in your future. So shame tells us that we're sinners, but salvation tells us that we have a Savior. Is this too simple? Is this too elementary? Is this too ABCs today? I want to tell you something. I need reminding of this from time to time. Shame tells us that our sin is a permanent condition. But salvation says that our sins are forgiven and removed from our record. Shame tells us that God's disappointed that we have sinned. But salvation says God knew that we would sin and that he already provided a way. He already provided a savior. I think about all the times in my life, all the times in my past, in my young adult life, all the times that I would go back to God and back to God, and back to the well. And I would have to say those same words over and over again. God, I blew it. I blew it again. I did it again. I, I said that thing I shouldn't have said. I went there. I did that. I, I thought that. The funny thing is that God was never surprised. I learned later that God was never surprised by the issues of my life. We're not surprising him at all. That's why we have to go back to the well over and over again. We have to go back there with joy saying, thank you, Lord. I'm so happy today that I have a well that I can draw from over and over again. This is my hope. 
this is what I'm grateful for. This is my hope for eternal life. It's called the well of my salvation. Can I tell you that we never lose our value to God? You never lose your value to God. I could take a $100 bill today. I could take a stack of $10 bills today and wad them up in my hand and make them so ugly and crinkly. I could put them in my mouth and chew on them a little while. I could spit them out on the floor and and and, and, and y'all would be fighting to get up here to get them because it would still have the same value. It didn't lose its value no matter how tarnished it was, no matter how much I messed with it, no matter how much I, I wrinkled it up or, or spat on it or chewed it up. It never lost its value. You would still want it just as much as you wanted it when it was crisp and brand new. That's the way God sees us. We never lose our value to him. It doesn't change because of what we've been through. Even when we've been dropped in the mud or when we've fallen in the dirt or when life has beat us up and we've gone the wrong way, it doesn't change our value to God. No matter what our past is, we are still a diamond to God. Our value doesn't change in him. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes we're a diamond in the rough, but we're a diamond nonetheless. And the diamond in the rough is no less valuable than the shining diamond that's sitting in the storefront window at the jewelry store. We should just stop and begin to take a moment and give God thanks for his all-sufficient, all-powerful salvation in our lives. I, I, I love this beautiful verse, Romans five seventeen. It says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Speaking of Adam here, how much more those who re- receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. He became sin for us. He gives us the gift of salvation. The word righteous simply means the gift of right standing with God by faith in Christ Jesus. Whenever I look to him, whenever he is my all sufficient, he meets everything in my life and he's all that I need. That I'm living in a place of righteousness. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I'm doing everything right. It is a gift. I'm justified. I'm justified. And justified is simply this. It is God seeing us after we've been on the ground, after we've been pounded by life, after we've made all kinds of mistakes, and him picking us back up and saying, you haven't lost your value with me. Justified, just as if I never sinned. Justified. I don't think we as humans really have the ability to understand and even perform that kind of grace and give that kind of grace. But God does. God has the ability to see us as if we've never sinned. You know, honestly, most of us could have any kind of converse, any two of us in this room could have a conversation. We live in a small community where we know everybody. And just about any name that pops up in our conversation, for most of us, a lot of times our first thought will be, you do know. You remember? You know, I, I think I remember they used to be married to so-and-so and That was this and that. That's how we think. But God, it's just as if it never happened. We all know sin has consequences. We get that. We all know that there's a harvest that comes with the things that we sow in our lives. We know this. I don't have to to harp on that today. But today we are talking about how God sees us and the power of our salvation. And that is just as if 
I never sinned. So there's the shame of sin. And that's about as much I'll talk about sin for a whole year probably. But number two, there is the shame of someone else. To live free of this shame from others, it is important that we first and foremost focus on forgiving others. I wish I had a lot more time to focus on that, but we have to, we have to focus on forgiving others and we have to focus on God's approval of us. We've all experienced this. Most of us, when we were kids, we had someone say to us, shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I don't know if you ever heard that before. And most of the time that came from well-meaning uh, adults in our lives, whether it be parents or teachers. We, we spilt the milk or we made a bad grade and, and we somehow we didn't meet their expectations in that moment. And, and they were doing their best to show us right from wrong. And they spoke those words, shame on you. But can I just say to all of us young parents in the room, let's be very careful. Let's be very cautious about the things that we say and speak over our children. Uh, we have to discipline our kids, absolutely. I, I, uh, you, I'm at CPS may come after me for this, but, but I believe in the scripture that says, spare the rod, spoil the child. I just believe that sometimes we have to discipline our babies, okay? We got to, thank you, I'm glad I'm not the only one in the house. Don't abuse them. Don't abuse them, but sometimes we got, we got to take care of business. We got to correct them with love, but we got to be careful the words that we speak over their life. I'm going to be honest with you. My daughter from time to time has, has kind of done some things that she shouldn't have done. She's said things she shouldn't have said. And this is the way I try to correct her. Sometimes I get a little aggravated. I might say something I shouldn't, but, but, but this is how I try to correct her. It's like, baby, that's not who we are. That's not who you are. That, that's not the way you've been raised. That's, that's not who you are. This is not how the Bateses live our life. This is not what we do. That's not how we treat people. That's not how we talk to people. You're better than that. You're bigger than that. Rather than shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Because I don't want that word to stick because this you'll live her life shameful. Living in shame. We're bigger than that. You're better than that. Conviction calls you higher. Con- condemnation beats you down with shame. We live in a time where the internet Social media has created this unprecedented level of public shaming and humiliation and bullying. They call it cyber bullying, cyber shaming. Millions of people in our day, now they can be anonymous behind a screen somewhere, uh, like a hermit somewhere in a back room, and they can just publicly shame anybody they want to. And we know that's, a, that's an epidemic, it's a problem in our, in our world, in our society. But what is even more sad than that to me is when I see Christians begin to attack. People who try to do it under the banner and under the, under the covering somehow of the church and, 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 and like they're speaking for God and they speak shame on other people and they'll even speak shame on other churches that they don't like and pastors and leaders that they don't agree with. And my heart grieves when I see this and I'm thinking if me, if my heart grieves, I wonder how much it grieves the heart of God when he sees people just go, his people just going after folks. They don't even know the person. They just go off on someone else who is on what somebody else has told them about them. Uh, we, we've had from this, even right here in our own community, it, it's just comical really, but we've had some critics of Life Church from time to time over 17 years. That's what's going to happen. And I've, I've been in conversation with people and they said, you know what? I was talking to so-and-so and I might barely know this person or know who they are. And, and they told me that at y'all's church, y'all do this and this and this, and this is how you spend your money and this is what you do. And, and, and I scratched my head. I was like, first of all, I don't even know that person. 
I've never even had a conversation with that person. And to my knowledge, that person has never even graced the property here. How did they all of a sudden become such an expert on how we function and operate and everything that we do here at Life Church? My point is, there's always going to be criticism. There's always going to be shaming going on. People are going to do it. They're going to do it to you individually, personally. We've never needed to know God's approval more than we need to know it right now. Because if we're not careful, we'll begin to listen to the voices out here. And all the shame and all the criticism that others will bring. And we've never needed to speak God's approval over our lives, over our children's lives, over the people in our lives that we know need it and need it now. God may not approve of what you've done, but God approves of you. That's the message that we've got to get out. That's the message that we've got to believe. That's the message we've got to deliver. God may not approve of everything that you're doing and going on in your life, but he sees you with value. You are a diamond to him. So when people are shaming or they've been shamed, some of us are living with the memory of words that way back there in our lives that were that were humiliating and they were shaming and they reduced us to a place of shame that we're still carrying around today. And all I'm attempting to do in this little simple message today is through God, the encouragement of God's word is to tell us all to overcome. Overcome the voice. Overcome the words. Look to him, the author and the perfecter. Look to him who sees us with value. Look to him who sees you as a perfect diamond. And the way we do this is we have to forgive others. We have to forgive those who have spoken those words over. We have to forgive those who offended us. We have to forgive those who have spoken those, those things about us, maybe that were not true. And we have to let it go. And we have to focus on God's approval of us. I get my approval from him. We have to continually remind ourselves, I am loved by God. It doesn't matter what my neighbor said. It doesn't matter what the critics are saying. I am loved by God. I am accepted by God. I am like a diamond to God. I matter to God. I haven't lost my value with God. And for everyone who follows the path that God has for their life, I'm going to tell you something. There are going to be critics. There's going to be those who you're not going to get their approval. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. A lot of people worry way too much about what other people think. I'm going to be honest with you. That's one of my temptations. That's one of my issues. I I want you to like me. And I'm going to do everything. And if I think you don't like me, I'm going to work even hard to get your approval. I'm like a, I'm like a lovesick puppy dog sometimes. I'm going to tell you something. Nobody, nobody dislikes dogs and cats more than I do. And I love you. It, for those of you that do, and, and, and I'm telling you, like, I know for some, they're like the part of your family. And I, and I, I appreciate that. I can, I can see that. And I, I appreciate that in our lives, in some of our lives. But I'm going to tell you something. For me personally, it's just not my thing. But I want to tell you, I can walk into a room of 30 people and there's one dog. Guess who the dog's going to? It's almost like they know. You walk in the room and they just know he's the one. He doesn't like me. He doesn't approve of me. He's the one I'm going after every stinking time. They know good people. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate that. But can I tell you that the less that we worry about what other people think, the less complicated our lives are going to be. And sometimes doing the right thing means not receiving the approval of others. So I've made this, I've stated this phrase many times before, and I'll say it again today. Shame off you. Shame off you. The more you grow, the stronger you get, there will be people who will envy your progress. I've heard it said around here in our community a lot, and I've come to learn it myself is that they say, people want you to do well. 
You know the rest of it, don't you? They just don't want you to do better than them. Oh, look at there, Stephen and Kara Austin. Boy, God's blessing them. Look at that beautiful family. Got two beautiful girls. Man, he find, he got him a really good job. And man, oh, that's great. You know what? I heard Kara and Stephen were building a house. Oh, that's great. God is blessed. Have you driven up 17 and seen that, seen that monstrosity of a house? That is, that, that, they spared no expense on that. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know where they're getting their money from. I'm going to tell you something. I, um, that, their house is a little bigger than my house. I wanted them to do really well until they did better than me. Shame off you, Stephen. <laughs> Shame off you. The further you go, the more you grow, the more there's going to be people who are going to criticize and try to shame you. We need to have the courage to understand that if everyone else forsakes me, I play for an audience of one. I live for an audience of one. Jesus warned us. He said this. He says, if you can't leave all these things, if you can't forsake all these people, if it's mother, father, brother, sister, whatever, you're not worthy of themselves of these relationships. He just wanted to know if you were willing. He, 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 he just spoke of the willingness to be able to put things in priority and perspective and to put him first. We don't go around trying to make enemies. We don't go around trying to breach relationships or certainly not to, to, to burn bridges. But sometimes when we set our course and we're going in the direction that God has called us to, we have to be willing to divest ourselves of the need of approval from others. Because it's not their approval that we're looking for. It's his. An audience of one. For some of us in this room, just simply the decision to follow Christ. Just the decision to plug into a local church and become a, a faithful follower of Christ and a believer and, and associate with the family of God and get involved in the things of God. Just your decision to do that brought all kinds of criticism into your life. Why are you doing that? What, what, what's that all about? That's a cult over there, whatever the case may be. Can I tell you this? For me personally, it was when I made one of the biggest faith steps of my life, one of the stepping out from everything that I had and knew into something that I didn't know and didn't have the answers and didn't know how it was all going to land and fall. It was in that moment that I began to draw the greatest criticism. Uh, so many relationships just began to kind of fall aside. I, I started to realize that maybe they were just there in my life while I was giving them what they wanted. And now that I was stepping out in what God was called, and, and, and all of that began to fall apart. But it was in that moment that I had to make a decision. Am I going to be committed to the right thing? And am I going to be committed to what God has called me to do? Or am I going to fall and, and be susceptible and fall into the trap of trying to get the approval of all those around me? Thankfully, in that one situation, I haven't always passed the test, but in that one situation, I did. And I can tell you, one by one by one, each one of those people over the course of many years came back and said, you know what, you, we were wrong. And they apologized. And they realized that God did have a bigger plan. And that it was a step of faith and following him. So we've talked about the shame of sin. We've talked about the shame from someone else. But the last one is this, and that's probably the biggest one, is the shame of self. The shame that comes from self. Shame of sin. We all know about that. The shame we get from others. I want to tell you something. The one that will keep us awake at night. The one that will steal all of our joy and all of our peace is the shame of self. To live free of the shame of self, we have to stay focused on forgiving others. And we've got to stay focused on forgiving ourselves. Sometimes it's a lot easier to forgive somebody else than it is to forgive ourselves. 
Sometimes we become our own worst enemy. We're harder on ourselves than anyone else ever could be or would be. So we have to be focused on forgiving ourselves, and we have to be confident in who God is and who God says that we are. It doesn't mean that we get arrogant. It doesn't mean that we we get so much pride that we now have nobody speaking into our lives. We have no one bringing correction or, or mentoring us in any way or giving us guidance in our life. It just simply means that we get free because shame is the feeling that I'm not good enough. Shame is this horrible, weighty dynamic that comes into our lives. Most psychologists say this. Most psychologists say that it is all the other emotions wrapped up into one, whether it be regret, but not just regret, but but sorrow and disappointment and embarrassment. All this is wrapped up into shame. It's all of those, and it tears down our confidence, and we begin to feel like a failure because we've made a mistake or there's, a, there's an issue in our life or something we're battling through, and it tears down and it destroys our confidence. And it's in those moments that we have to encourage ourselves. Have you ever had to do that? Sometimes there's not a preacher there to encourage us. Sometimes there's not a best friend there. Sometimes we don't need to reach out to the best friend or the preacher or the confidant. Sometimes the Lord is calling us to a place alone with him. And he's saying, in this moment, in this place, encourage yourself. I love this great story of David when, when the enemy came in and, and, and began to take the children. It was at a place called Ziklag. And, and, and the enemy came in while, while the men were in battle. And, and they began, they took the children and they took all the food and they took the wives and and they took everything that they had and there in Ziklag is where David he began to feel that shame all that shame that he began to put on himself there were even those that were looking at him saying you're the leader You, you, you 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 let this happen you allowed this to happen and the Bible says that David wept in that moment in fact it says that he wept loudly but then comes the point where the Bible says of David that he encouraged himself in the Lord My question to all of us is how long are you going to pay penance? How long are you going to beat yourself up? How long are you going to allow the enemy to tell you that you're worthless and you can't be the person that God has called you to be and wants you to be? Even some of the simple stuff, like I'm not a good enough parent. I wonder how many parents, young parents parenting in this day and age right now don't feel that way. I, I, I got to tell you this quick story. This past Wednesday evening, it was after church. Kayla had taken a group of the, the fifth and sixth graders to Monroe for an outing, and they weren't going to get back till late. So it was me and Boston. For those of you here that don't know about our little man, Boston, he's six years old, and he has been diagnosed and is very high on the autism spectrum. In six years, we've never had a conversation with our son. He's, um, he, he's, he's, he's got a lot of things that he's battling in his mind, and, and we, we're trying to tap into that and learn, learn him. And this is one of the areas where I've had to spare the rod because when a child is in that kind of place, they don't understand that. They don't, you could beat them till they were blue, black and blue and unconscious, but they're not going to know what you did. They're not even going to know what that means. And so we're trying to figure out and discover these ways and things. And I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm the one doing all this. I'm like 3%. Kayla's like 97% of dealing with this every single day. But this was my one little moment Wednesday night after church. I wanted two items from Super One. That's all. Is two items too much to ask? I mean, and I'm committed. Like, I will go in and just get the two items, especially if I have the six-year-old with me. 
So we went, we go into Super 1, I get my two items very quick, and I'm up to the front. And, you know, normally Super 1, like, you can just walk right up to a, a cashier, right? I, mean, I love Super 1. I mean, you can just, but not this night. Of course not this night. And there was only like five people in the store, the whole store, and all five of them were checking out. And so I go up there. Well, there's this one little item. It's a chocolate egg. I guess it's left over from Easter. But it's like this can- this plastic toy that's coated in chocolate. <coughs> and Boston is so fascinated with this little thing. And so every time we get near the cashier stand, he's he is barreling out of the of the buggy, and he's running. To, and nothing's going to stop him. You could go. You could tackle him. I mean, I'm telling you, this boy is strong. I, I got him dressed for church this morning, and 10 minutes later, I'm in there trying to get dressed myself, and he comes running in there with not a stitch of clothes on. That's, that's, that's what it is. So he gets his thing, and I, I, Tanya McCurley's in the line, and I told her, I was like, you know what? This is not a heel. I'm going to die on today. I'm going to let him have his chocolate. Well, he gets it. He starts crumbling up the chocolate. It's all over the floor. So now I'm literally on my hands and knees, and I'm trying to pick up the chocolate, and I finally get it. And then I realize I don't have the wrapper to get it, to let them scan it. In the, so I go to get another. There was one more there. I go to get it, and I have it in my hand. Well, he sees it. Well, he grabs it, and now he's crumbling it up, and I've moved him out of the way. And it's just me and him, and I'm trying to get my little items checked out. And there's a man behind me who just wants paper bags. And so, you know, you know the person that was behind me is like, you know, he's just one of those customers. I finally said, go ahead, man. You can go. You can go. And, and, and now I'm over here cleaning up chocolate on the other part of the store over here and I'm now sweating profusely and I'm embarrassed and I'm discouraged and I'm, I'm really just wanting to walk out of the store and never look back. Now I realize that I don't have a barcode to scan now two times and there are no more eggs in the store, thank God, but not at this moment. So now I'm trying to piece like a little piece of foil back together to scan uh, this barcode two times. He's over here screaming and hollering. He, I'm still dealing with it. <laughs> he checks out my two items. It's like $19 or something. I threw a $20 bill at him and said, keep the change and I'm out of there. And I got him and I strapped him in the truck with zip tied him, all that good stuff. I go and I sit down in the driver's seat and I started thinking, you know what, Kevin? You're trying to do all kinds of great things for God. You think you're going to do all this great stuff and God's called you to this and now you want to go and do this and you've got these higher aspirations and you can't even control a six-year-old 45-pound boy. He literally beats you down to your hands and knees in the grocery store. And shame. Shame. Can I tell you that for a split second, for a split second, I didn't let it last long. For a split second, I really began to believe that, you know what? I'm not worthy to do the things that God has called me to do. But see, that would be shame. And sometimes those little moments, they escalate into places where they hold us back from what God really has in mind for us. You might have raised your children to know God. And you taught them about Jesus. You even took them to church. And now they're not serving God to this day. And today, you, you're the one that needs to hear this message. And I'm saying to you, quit shaming yourself. Shame off you. There's that constant voice, no matter what the issue, no matter what the place in life is that says, I'm not good enough. We have to remember in those moments that we're not good enough. And God never said that we, within ourselves, were good enough. But that he 
sent his son to be our hope and our redeemer. And because you and I on our own are not good enough, he is good more than enough. And he sees the value in us that many times we can't see in ourselves. I'm closing with this. Psalms 27 and 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In other words, he's saying, I'm going to be confident and I'm not going to be afraid. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I may not be the best parent in the world. I'm not going to put that same tape on rewind in my heart and in my mind. I'm not going to let that play over and over. I made this mistake, but I'm not going to live in that mistake. I'm not going to give condemnation a microphone in my life. Though war may rise against me, in this I'm going to be confident. I'll be confident in this, that the Lord, the Lord alone is my salvation and he is my light. I am confident of this. Philippians 1, 6 says this, being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, he ain't done. That's the, that's the Kevin Bates version. He ain't done. He will complete it until the day of Jesus. Can I just tell you today that he ain't finished with you yet? I've just come in here in this house today just to remind everybody he ain't done with you yet. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what the sin is in your life. I don't care what other people are saying about I don't care what you believe about yourself. I'm telling you, God sees value in you. You are a diamond in his eyes. You are perfect. And it's just as if you never did. We're all going to battle with this in our lives. We are. In fact, I'm going to preach this sermon today. and I'm going to walk off this platform. And I'm going to tell you something. At some point, I'm going to deal with this battle of shame. But we have to know what our weapons are. Just like I knew, finally discovered sitting in the Super One parking lot Wednesday night after a few minutes. I had to realize what my weapon was. Wait a minute. Enemy, you don't win. You don't win. God's got great things. He sees my moment of weakness right now. He sees me crawling around on the floor picking up chocolate with, with sweat beating off my off my brow. But 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 God sees something different. And God's got a plan. We have to know how to fight back. So that the enemy doesn't push us into a corner of shame and cause us to miss out on God's best for our life and for our future. Do you believe that today? Would you stand with me across this room? One of the most powerful ways that we can overcome shame is this. The most powerful way that we can overcome shame in our life is to live in the present. Live in the present, not in the past. Not in the failure, not in the regret, but to live in the right now. This is what repentance, this is what repentance means. This is what it's meant to do. It is our God-given tool to empower us to live in the present. So as difficult as it might be for some of us, whose memory wants to hold us to yesterday's failures and yesterday's mistakes and yesterday's sin, I want to encourage all of us today. This is why Jesus came, to set us all free and to empower us to start new chapters and have new beginnings in our lives. You might have destroyed and torn apart everything in your marriage, but I want to tell you something. It's not over. It's not over. You might feel like you've gone as far as anyone could ever go. Can I tell you, you've never gone too far that he can't reach you. 
and you don't have to go to him, he will come to you. I've heard that phrase before. I met Jesus at an old-fashioned altar. I met him. I found Jesus. No, I didn't find Jesus anywhere. He knew where I was, and he came to me when I finally came to that place of surrender and said, God, I can't do it anymore. Have a new beginning. Repentance gives us the ability when we've had a tough chapter in our lives to say, it's only a chapter. It's not my story. It's not your story. It's not the end. It's not over. It's not done. Can Since we've been talking about something that we really don't talk about a lot here, today we talked about a subject called salvation. How with joy we draw water from the wells of salvation. I don't know what it is you need saving in your life today, but I want to do something today just... Maybe, maybe we can reach back and just remind us of where we've been. And with joy, not with condemnation and not with shame, heaven forbid, but with joy, I want us to have a salvation altar call today. And here's how I want to do it. Maybe you need saving in your soul today. Your soul is just vexed. And you feel like you're so separated from God. And he's beckoning, saying, come, come unto me. I, I want to know you. I want you to know me. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need salvation in your marriage and in your home. Things are torn apart. Things are being destroyed left and right. Maybe you need saving from yourself. You just, that voice, that enemy that speaks and says, you're not this and you're not that. And you need saving from that today. I want us to have an old-fashioned salvation altar call today. But here's what I want to do. If you're going to respond to this today, and I hope that you do if God is calling you. I hope you respond. If you respond to this today, I don't want you to come with your head bowed. I want you to come with your head held high. I want you to do it with a smile on your face. And when you begin to walk down these aisles, if you do today, if you begin to walk down these aisles and come to the front of this church, here's what I'm going to encourage our church family to do. Because we've all been there. And we'll all be there. I want us to begin to celebrate. Because we're going to do it with joy. We're coming to the wells of salvation with joy, not with shame, not with condemnation. And we're going to celebrate you home today. We're going to celebrate you saved today. We're going to celebrate you coming to the living water today in the name of Jesus. So now, with every head up and every eye open, I encourage you today to come to the wells of salvation. If that's you today, if God is calling you, if he's beckoning you, come today. Come and receive the salvation of the Lord. We celebrate you today. We celebrate what God's doing in your life. We celebrate restoration. We celebrate redemption. We celebrate healing. We celebrate victory today in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We honor you and we celebrate you. We come with joy. We come with joy to the wells of salvation today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Let's sing together.
Amen. 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 I hope today, I hope this message never gets old to us. I hope it never just becomes elementary to us. I hope that every time we think about the cross of Calvary and we think about the finished work at the cross, when we think about what he provided for us, I hope every time it just gets us excited. I hope every time it just gets jubilant inside of us and there's a celebration that comes out of us. God bless you today. Go in his grace. Go in his peace. Drink and draw from the waters, the living waters today that will never thirst from again.